It is said that there are many paths. Is that funny? (laughs) It is also said there are no paths. And it's also said there's only one disguised as many. And here we teach what has historically been considered the most direct understanding of self-realization and liberation. Liberation from suffering. And that means liberation from illusion. And so to say a path is the most direct path means that you're not going through any indirect intellectual concepts or belief systems or practices that require you to believe that there is someone trying to achieve something. Because that is already the illusion that we're trying to break free of. And so if you carry that further, you come to the recognition that all concepts are false because they are indirect representations of what is rather than simply being what is. Some would say that even our great teacher Sri Ramana went too far in his asking the question of who am I? even though he said it's not a mental asking, you don't use the language to ask the question. But perhaps there's an implication in the question that A, there's an answer to the question, B, there is a who and or an I to find, and that therefore there is something to do and someone to do it. And this is still the illusion. Now what Ramana says, of course, is that if you undertake this inquiry seriously enough, deeply enough, you discover that the one searching is an illusion. And what is searched for is already what is. But perhaps a more stripped-down version of Advaita would simply be to ask the question, what is? And not assume that there is a who. Because it's that who that gives all the problems. And of course the answer for every tradition is that there is no who. But there's always a who who wants to claim that it knows that answer. And it's very hard to get rid of this illusion of an I that attains some enlightenment or realization or liberation. But in fact, it is hammered into every disciple of every path. That is the mistake that keeps consciousness bound 
to suffering. There is no one bound. It's the illusion that you are bound that you must free. Who? From. There's no one to be freed from it. It's an illusion that does not bind you because there is no one to be bound. Because it is a sheer illusion without any reference to anything real. This is very hard, of course, for the ego mind to grasp or get its head around, as they would say nowadays. You can't grasp it because, A, there is no one to grasp it, and there is nothing to grasp. And the very use of concepts to try to grasp it is already moving away from it. Since all concepts are based on the illusion of duality, and that there is a user of language, and that illusion is only created by language itself, the way out of the illusion can only be to silence the very mind that is trying to grasp the answer. And then when you're finally able to silence that mind enough to have a space to look at what is, what gets discovered usually by the seeker, whatever that seeker may imagine itself to be or not, what is is emptiness. Right? There's an awareness, if you want to call it, or consciousness, that is prior to all the objects that appear in consciousness because no objects could appear, whether sensations or concepts or images or memories or fantasies or emotions, unless there was a container of consciousness that were empty and that could be filled with those objects. But mental objects, not real objects. Objects that appear and disappear and have no substance. And so the Buddhist answer to the question, what is, is just emptiness. Shunyata. But then we, we could go further and say, but what is emptiness? Is it the same as nothing? It can't be nothing. If there was nothing, there'd be no need for a spiritual path at all. There'd be no one asking the question of how to achieve self-realization, right? So there is illusion. But behind the illusion is emptiness. But even the fact that there is an awareness of emptiness means that there is also presence. And so the Advaita answer isn't emptiness. The Advaita answer is presence. And sometimes when the presence is really explored, they will even dare to say that the presence is fullness which seems to be the opposite of emptiness, doesn't it? And yet if you analyze what the sages are teaching about fullness, they will always tell you that the fullness is what is real within the presence of emptiness. It's not different from the presence of emptiness. But that emptiness itself 
because it is also presence. It's not that the presence of emptiness are two different things. You never get emptiness without presence, and you never get presence without emptiness. Because as soon as the emptiness is filled, whether with concepts or images, etc., there's no longer presence. You've lost the presence into the obsession with the object. And as soon as there is an identification with that object, whether it's a subtle object or a linguistic object or a sensory image, like your image in the mirror of consciousness and an identification with the image, whatever it is, that identification, because it is limited and objective and uh, temporary, comes with a feeling of lack, comes with a feeling of loss, comes with a negative sign, no longer emptiness, but now the lack of somethingness, the lack of fullness, the lack of allness, the lack of presence. And then, once that identification is made, then that illusory identification goes through its illusory world trying to fill its lack. But the lack was always a creation of a false identification with what seemed to be an object in consciousness. But because all objects in consciousness are temporary, then there's an obsession with trying to maintain the permanence of that object. But since nothing remains permanent, including the way you look in the mirror, you have to maintain a fantasy of who you are that you can maintain with a sense of illusory permanence. And then you have to be in denial that the body's getting older, it doesn't look as good as it did last year, and etc., etc. Things are changing. Whatever you identified with is no longer there. And that creates a horror of even worse lack. Right? And then you try to fill that with all kinds of compensations. But it all begins with the lack of the satisfaction with the fullness that is the presence of emptiness. If you would sit in that long enough, there would be total satisfaction and freedom from neediness, desire, fear, all the whole nine yards of the ego's suffering would be eliminated at one go, one realization. But once the identification is made with an object, it comes with lack and desire and fear and get me out of here. Change. I need to change the situation. It's bad, right? Because it, it, it contains so many negative emotions by just the fact of consciousness becoming bound to a false identification. That bondage creates all of the so-called psychological problems in our life. And the details, the fine print of those problems, will of course depend on the identification that the illusory other people in the life of that object have made about that object. Oh, he, he's not smart enough, she's not pretty enough, blah, 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 right? All of the things that you heard and took in and they hurt and uh, you couldn't let go of and now you're obsessed about and feeling like you're stuck with those 
identifications. So this is the situation of an illusion of bondage because of a false identity that obscures the presence of the emptiness that is free. That is not a one, is no one at all, because emptiness has no differentiation. It's not a thing, it's not objective. And yet, filled with something miraculous that is, can be called presence. But that that presence can never be appropriated by an entity. And the moment it, there is an attempt to appropriate it and say, this is my presence, the my destroys the presence. And the presence is then replaced by the lack and the loss of presence into an illusion of future and past. And suddenly, I'm no longer what I was, and there's nostalgia for what I was, or who was with me when I felt good, and who's not there anymore, or who has changed, and I should replace with somebody else who should be there to make me feel good. All of that, right? All of the efforts that this now false self makes to try to pad the horror of its reality, of lostness and lack in an empty universe, of its own nightmarish creation. And the more it tries to solve the problem, the more it digs itself deeper into a hole that is also its own imagination. So this is daily life. You know, this is the garden variety egoic life that most people are living. Henry David Thoreau called it quiet desperation. He said all men live in a state of quiet desperation. They're no longer so quiet. Things have changed since the 1800s at Walden Pond, and now it's a very noisy desperation. But it doesn't achieve anything. And no matter how much money one has in the bank or how many girlfriends or how many whatevers one is collecting to feel some uh, compensation for the lack, it never takes away the agony of the, let's say, the perishable quality of the false identification and the fear of death and the fear of life. And one is stuck between these two fears when life gets too intense, you want to die. You want to go back into the womb. You drink some alcohol and obliterate the aliveness or some other drug. And if it gets too dead, then you need stimulation to get out of the deadness. But it's never just right, like Goldilocks. It's either too dead or it's too alive or it's not enough of this or not enough of that. And the ego is constantly dissatisfied with its situation because it's never about its situation. It's about its own sense of lack of substance, lack of true being, lack of reality that cannot stand up to the tests of truthfulness and love and interaction that requires <clears throat> empowerment and nobility of spirit and so it always has to act in ways that are ultimately self-defeating, unethical, um, self-deceptive, deceptive of others, the false front, the facade. We all know the games that every ego plays. We try not to be taken in by them and we try to make sure others are taken in by our own games and uh, life goes on in this wheel of suffering and deception and loss. 
And yet all along, every sage, real sage, tells us you don't need to do anything. All of that is just a dream. A bad dream, but a dream. Wake up. Wake up and allow yourself to recognize the presence of emptiness again. And be satisfied with it. Don't run away from it. Don't label the emptiness as lack. Don't label it as something's missing, I gotta fill, or I've gotta run away to some other situation. If you stop labeling it and accept it unconditionally as what is, that's when the fullness that arises, that fills the emptiness, a fullness that cannot be described because it's not an objective fullness, it's a fullness of being, sat, a fullness of an intelligence that is now one with the entirety of the isness, entirety of what is, not just a part, not most of reality censored out, but the fullness of the potential of consciousness and the empowerment of consciousness and the eternal nature of consciousness that transcends all the illusions of time and space and lack and localizability and all of the other myriad illusions that the ego mind is prone to dissolve in one instant of eternal presence. And that's all that needs to happen. And since it is already the reality, you don't need to do anything to make it happen. You just need to stop running away from what is and be. That's meditation.